trades, trades, and more trades. This is the Hockey Flow, and it flows wonderfully this week. Today is Tuesday, March the 22nd, 2022, and I'm sharing this wonderful day with Marco D'Amico and Adam Boucher, both of which you can find on Twitter. Marco can be found at scribbageandstats.com, formerly, because now he's at Montreal Hockey Now, and you can find him also, always on Twitter at mndamico, that's M-N-D-A-M-I-C-O. And of course, there's really Adam B, that's again, Adam Boucher, who you can find on Twitter. I'm Major Guerrero, let's get into today's show, which again, we're starting off with the trades that happened, all the happenings that happened yesterday, we're going to break them down. Let's start off with the Montreal side of the trade, because again, we are a Montreal-centric show. Arturi Lekkanen leading to, uh, leaving all the way to Colorado now. Uh, better sh- stuff ahead for him. I'll throw it to you, Marco. What do we need to know? Arturi Lekkanen was traded by the Montreal Canadiens to the Colorado Avalanche for prospect Justin Barron and a second-round pick in 2024. I, I mean... When I first saw a colleague, Adrian Dater, uh, basically post this, I thought I was dreaming. I didn't. I didn't think that this was possible for for the Canadians to get to get that kind of return. Like I am a Mooseheads fan. I have watched Justin Barron since he was 16 years old, and I like. It's a horrible thing to say out loud when you're just talking about it like this. But it, if you're looking at him as just a hockey player, like I've seen this guy evolve, and it's. I'm not saying he's going to be a top pair guy and it's still questionable whether he'll really be like a number three, but this is a top four defenseman in my honest opinion in the making. If everything goes relatively well, uh, you know, it should definitely, you know, make sense. Um, For me, this is the kind of value. And we spoke about this at Montreal hockey now, and we have an article on this uh, coming out today, basically. So I don't know at what point everybody's going to listen to this, but yesterday maybe, uh, <clears throat> where we actually discussed with the head coach of the Colorado Eagles just how promising a player Justin Barron is. And really, I mean, he's 20 years old. Like, he could have played in junior this year still. But because he has a late birthday, he was able to play for the Colorado Eagles, despite only having been drafted less than two years ago. So, uh, uh, you know, right-handed shot. Mobile top 4D, 6'2, 205 pounds. He checks off a lot of boxes for the Montreal Canadiens who sorely lack, and I mean sorely lack, depth at that position, especially in the prospect pool. And then you throw in a second round pick in 2024. I mean, you can look at this two ways. One, it's an excellent trade chip because who knows what's going to happen between now and 2024. And the other notion is who knows where Colorado is going to be in 2024. Maybe that you know, in two years from now, after having gone for it and being unable to re-sign guys like Burakovsky, like Nazem Kadri, you know, maybe they take a dip in the standings and that second-round pick becomes higher. Like we saw, for example, when Montreal traded Fleischman and uh, Dale Weiss to the Chicago Blackhawks. That second-round pick was three years away, and it wound up being one of the ten first picks in the second round, which brought Alexander Romanov into the fold. So either way you look at it, Excellent value. Uh, I felt like Arturi Lekkanen, you know, had peak value at that moment. And I think the Canadians knew that although he also had peak trade value, he was going to have peak contract value as well. And that was going to come back to bite them in the butt. Yeah, just great value from from trading Lekkanen. Like, like you said, that second rounder could be... Maybe a bit of a gamble, if depending on on where Colorado stands in 2024. But Justin Barron, I remember him, seeing him uh, in the World Juniors last year. He's just a solid, 
yeah, he's just a solid defenseman, and and he comes in and and basically helps our prospect pool at right D because as of now, most of our defenseman prospects are left Ds. Uh, yeah, so it it really helps, uh, basically helps our building for the future and just a solid defenseman and and um we heard what um what the gm said yesterday he hopefully we get to see baron play a few games before he goes to laval so uh hopefully he surprises us or, or at least earns a spot and maybe next year yeah well it was mentioned today by uh jeff gorton during their live twitch sessions with the canadians that um justin baron will be practicing with the montreal canadians tomorrow um, and they will be keeping him with the Montreal Canadiens for the time being. He was papered down to um, <clears throat> he was papered down to uh, Laval after the trade, uh, so that he would be eligible to go back for the AHL playoffs, which Laval most likely is going to be qualifying for. Um, the general manager, in his case, uh, will be able to determine after a game or two, or maybe a practice whether or not, um, you know, to give him a game. And if they don't give him a game, that's totally fine. Like, there is no shame in a 20-year-old defenseman, not even yet 21, 20-year-old defenseman, um, you know, playing not even 50 pro games yet uh, to need more time developing. And I think at this point in time, you know, that's totally fine. But again, if the Canadians were going to get a first-round pick for him and draft a defenseman, in the late first round, that's a right-handed shot defenseman. That's mobile. That's as big as he is. That's going to do what he got, what he does. You know, it would have been the same thing, but just two years removed. So the Canadians bought themselves time. They moved up their, uh, they basically moved up their timetable when it comes to the defense. And I think it was smart because they went and got a defenseman that fits the same age range as a Romano, as a Gouli, as a Harris. Um, you know, Logan Mayu to a degree, if the Canadians can bring him into the fold. Um, all within the same age. So I think they're growing something together. And I think a trade like this will also allow them to focus more on forwards uh, in the upcoming drafts. Let's also talk about Brent Kulak also leaving the team and headed towards Edmonton. Uh, Adam, what are the things that people need to know? Yeah, that was the later trade in, in, in the four trades that Montreal did on deadline. Uh, Brett Kulak, who would have thought uh, we could have gotten even just a second round pick? Now we got a conditional second, a seventh, and William Laguson coming back from Edmonton. That's that's just crazy value for a guy, Brett Kulak, who's basically a third pairing defenseman. So uh, I feel like every trade Kent Hughes pulled off uh, during deadline is just just he just went out and maximized value. Like who would have thought for Brett Kulak? Uh, yes, fifty percent retained, but who cares? At this point, it's it's nine hundred twenty-five thousand dollars on on the cap. Uh, just great value for for a guy like Brett Kulak. Three months ago, that Brett Kulak would have returned a second, a seventh, and a roster player. I would have called you crazy. I would have called you straight up loony. <clears throat> and if you would have told me that he would have extracted that from Ken Holland, I would have told you that was impossible. Because Ken Holland is perhaps the cheapest general manager in in sport. Like this, this is a general manager that rarely ever makes any kind of move whatsoever. Um, and to see the Montreal Canadiens extract again a second round pick 
either in 2022 or 2023, depending on what happens with the their, the Edmonton Oilers second round pick in regards to the Duncan Keith trade. Either way, that's an excellent asset because we it's easy to see that the Edmonton Oilers are not going to be a very deep team this year. I don't see them going to the finals. Uh, and they're going to be one of the last teams to qualify for the playoffs. So the way I see it is that second-round pick is probably going to be anywhere between 50 to, you know, 45 to 50, um, probably 50. That's a good trade ship. With the Canadians having an extra late first-round pick and an early second-round pick, you know, that pick could be packaged. It could be used to, to move up. The Canadians have multiple third-round picks. They can use that to move up. It just continues to give them flexibility. And they could even turn around and make a trade. Uh, there's a lot of things that the Canadians can do with with this kind of flexibility. And just stockpiling these picks is going to give them more and more of an opportunity to do so. And I think that they were asked this question today, um, you know, by uh, Simon Servant on Twitter during their Twitch session. And basically, Hughes responded with, Having these picks will allow us to be aggressive in whichever manner we want. That it be trading up, trading down, trading for players. And that is exactly what you want. You, There is no chance, in my honest opinion, that the Canadians are going to draft 17 times. I really don't think so. I think that that would be an absolute uh, nightmare for their, for their scouting staff because you just have to think that's almost 8% of the entire draft. Um, so it's, it's a lot of players. It's a lot of homework. I don't see the Canadians doing something like that. I think at this point, what they're going to probably try to do, um, and it's 14 picks. I apologize. Um, I think what they're going to try to do is, is leverage a lot of these, try to use these picks to maybe help them offload contracts to, to acquire disgruntled, um, disgruntled prospects as well. You think, at the reported interest that Hughes and Gordon had towards Rangers prospects that never materialized. Maybe these picks helped the Canadians extract a guy like Vitaly Kravtsov from the New York Rangers. It's things to think about. So that added flexibility, again, from a trade, as Adam said, from a serviceable yet still bottom pair defenseman is exceptional. And I think that the, the, the inspired play of Corey Schooneman lately uh, and the notion that the Canadians will uh, sign Jordan Harris, I think those two things made it so that it was it was good enough to move Kulak, and what a return that that was. Yeah, so that number that that second rounder, either you trade him, you trade it as trade chip, or you you actually draft a player forty five to fifty overall. That's that's just great value, especially that Kulak was was set to becoming a, a new FA after this season, so. Just great value overall. The the other great value trade we saw was was Ben Chirot, right, Marco? I mean, again, Ben Chirot returned to Hall, in my opinion. I, I was really surprised to see that kind of a return, especially an unprotected 2023 first-round pick. Like, I, I'm not expecting, um, you know, I'm not expecting... The, the, the Florida Panthers to fall off a cliff here. I think that they're too well-built a team to totally fall off a cliff. Do I expect them to be number one in the league? No, but I don't expect them to be too far. So there's that. But if you would have told me last year, for example, that the New York Islanders were in the bottom 10 or that the uh, Vegas Golden Knights were a bubble team 
uh, I would have also called you crazy, and here we are. So anything is anything is possible. But to get a first round pick, Ty Smolanic, and you know, adding another fourth round pick to that in 2022, uh, that's quite a haul for Ben Sherrod. I mean, that's more than what in, if you really juxtapose it. That's more than what Ben uh, than David Savard got last year. It's in fact one of the most uh, lucrative returns for a rental defenseman we've seen in, in, in quite some time. And so f- for a guy like Ben Sherratt, who, I mean, let, he's not a top pair guy. He, he's he's a top forward defenseman. Looking at what he got and then juxtaposing it to what the Leafs paid for Mark Giordano or what the Ducks paid, uh, the Ducks, sorry, got for Chris Manson, uh, this is an excellent return. This is an absolute excellent return. And again, Kent Hughes, like it, it is, it is like his negotiating skills from an agent seems to have followed him as general manager, and it is for me pretty interesting to see how he's gone about things. Every single prospect that he's acquired since being brought on as general manager, their number one quality is skating. Every single one of them. I mean, Smolanik is no different. Projects as a bottom six heart and soul type player that can put up some secondary scoring. But when you look at it, you know, you combine that with a guy like Barron, uh, Emil Heineman that they went and got uh, in the Tyler Toffoli trade. The Canadians prospect pool is slowly starting to move away from the rugged, physical type players and moving towards speed and moving towards skill. Yeah, and... and that's that's basically it you you mentioned it best and i think like i feel like kent hughes just went and just waited you know enough time he had patience and just extracted most value of, out of every of those three trades he just got the best value possible he got good prospects a bunch of picks and lastly even extracted a a basically an HL player for for Andrew Hammond who we just signed who we just acquired for future considerations so he basically flipped future considerations for Hammond who he flipped for another HL um basically HL players who's put up 26 points in 43 po- uh, th- 43 games so pretty good depth at at the HL level for even for a guy like Hammond so just i feel like just a big win for his first trade deadline Absolutely. And I feel like Nate Schnarr was a good return. I think, you know, he spoke about wanting to help Laval out because they've been absolutely depleted this year. And Montreal poached both uh, Ryan Paling and Laurent Dauphin from them. So there goes your top six center depth right off the bat. Yes, they sent down Cedric Paquette, who has already shown a little bit of offensive ability uh, since being sent down. But at the same time, it makes things extremely complicated for them because... How are you going to go forward without, you know, another center on that team? So Laval definitely getting the reinforcements there. And Nate Schnarr, um, you know, played with Nick Suzuki in junior, was a 100-point player in junior. He's still 23 years old. He's not a bad player. And the Canadians, he's a restricted free agent, so they can keep him on next year uh, as further depth because, uh, you know, outside of Yang Mishak, I don't foresee a center... Uh, turning pro next year out of the Montreal Canadiens prospect pool, unless, of course, they sign Brett Stapley uh, out of Denver University. So there's going to be a lot of moving parts, but the Canadians having multiple prospects in their prospect pool instead of it just being like Team Quebec veterans 
I, I think a nice mix will go a long way in helping these youngsters develop. And now let's turn our attention to the news from a rest around the hockey world. And of course, that is the rest of the Terry deadline recap, which uh, let's actually start off with something controversial here. Let's I, I got to ask you about Evgeny Dadunov and the Anaheim Ducks acquiring his contract. Marco, what's the controversy and what do people really need to know? Well, as of yes, yesterday, we were told uh, at about 3 p.m. sharp that uh, Evgeny Dadunov had been traded to the Anaheim Ducks along with a second round pick for the contract of Ryan Kessler and John Moore. Um, that deal was reportedly nixed by the NHL because Anaheim found itself on Evgeny Dadunov's no-trade list. Dadunov had a no-trade list, which if anybody went on Cap Friendly, they'd be able to see was there. Uh, apparently, uh, Kelly McCrimmon and uh, George McPhee, not really big fans of the rules, uh, decided... Oh, we, uh, we never received the list when we acquired him from Ottawa last year, so that must mean he doesn't have one. And just decided, yep, they were going to trade him. Uh, newsflash, he had a 10-team no list, and Anaheim was on it. So now the debate between the two parties is simply that Ottawa did not give the list to Vegas, according to Vegas, and... Dadanov doesn't feel like that's his problem because he gave his list on the 1st of July as stipulated in his contract and Anaheim being clearly there. So this is, in my honest opinion, this is getting called back. This trade is going to get nixed. And the issue at hand is they're going to have to find another way, Vegas is, to shed, con to shed this contract because they cannot bring back their star players unless money is moved. And right now... They're not in a position of patience. If they're not if they're not able to make a move real soon and bring back some of these injured players like Mark Stone, like Alec Martinez, they're more they're more than likely going to miss the playoffs at this point. So Vegas is in a very tough spot, and you love to see it. Vegas is just a dumpster fire at the moment. Like Vegas is two 22 year olds playing NHL 22 and running into the CBA. That's basically what it is. It's franchise mode and just just trying to yeah, yeah. running in. And then, boom. Oh, sorry, buddy. You're playing on hard difficulty now. There's actual rules. And, and so, basically, now... Wait, so Dadunov has the choice to either report to the Ducks, which was on his no-trade list, go back to the team who just wanted to... to trade him away. Yeah. And threw a second to get rid of him. Or, basically, what? They, they can trade him away, but he's not eligible to play for the rest of the season? Is that it? Since it's after trade deadline? Correct. Which is so wow. either way you look at it, it's laughable. Either way you look at it, absolutely laughable. In my honest opinion, Dadanov will win this. I think that the, the legal uh jargon is quite clear. And you know, from all intents and purposes, it looks like Dadanov's clan did what they needed to do. So you know, at the end of the day, I really don't, you know, I love watching Vegas fail. It's been a pastime of mine since they lost to the Washington Capitals in the finals to the Montreal Canadiens at Saint-Jean-Baptiste last year, and they can continue to fail now. Let's talk about Claude Giroux to the Panthers. Contenders or favorites right away? Most people would say definitely contenders. I don't know about favorites, but Florida is heating up on their Stanley Cup runs, regardless of which team you used to end up supporting. Adam, what do people need to know? They need to know that, that the Panthers basically acquired Giroux and... 
look, they they acquired Chirod, they acquired Giroud. Like, what's more to like? One can what can they add more? You're basically gonna have Giroud probably on the right side of Barkov. Like, that's that's all you need to know. Yeah, that's. So it's it's it just feels like it's it's the Panthers' cup to lose this year. Like they're just so stacked, and adding Giroud is is basically the biggest asset you could have added uh, at trade deadline and and the pa- the Panthers they found a way to make it happen yeah I mean look the Panthers are all in I don't think I don't think anybody's got it twisted here I mean these guys have like two top 60 picks in the next three years um so there's not much going on uh they they were active they did what they needed to do and I think that, and for my honest opinion, I think they're the favorites in the East. I don't think, you know, I think Tampa Bay giving up two first-round picks for Brandon Hagel, which I assume we'll get to in a bit, uh, was fun. But I think that the Florida Panthers are better built and now better reinforced than uh, anything that Tampa Bay could throw at them. But I look forward to that being the uh, Atlantic final before the Eastern Conference final, because that is going to make it for one heck of a series. But I personally, at this point, I think it's Florida's cup. And the, the, the East is just going to be a basically a meat grinder. Like the team that comes out of the East. Yeah. When have we said that? The last couple of years, it's always been the, the West, the West, the West, the West. Um, but really, it looks like it's the East that's uh, that's really got the powerhouse clubs this year because Tampa, Florida, Boston, improved as well new york like these are strong teams pittsburgh uh washington again like these are all strong teams so to me i think that you know florida did what they needed to do and hopefully it it pays off for them in the playoffs speaking of playoffs in the playoffs let's talk about the boston bruins and their signing and a trade and their signing of hampus lindholm can we talk about that and the extension and all those implications marco yeah i mean geez you're that was one heck of a trade. Uh, a first-round pick, two second-round picks, and Urku Vakanainen, who was a former first-round pick, um, for, for their, oh my God, for Lindholm, which is one heck of a haul for the Ducks, but one heck of an acquisition for the Boston Bruins. I mean, it was their most glaring need. A top-pair left-shot defenseman that could basically play with McAvoy because they haven't really had somebody that can do that since Chara. Um you really, I really like what I see here. I think that, you know, they went, they got him, they paid a high price, but they signed him right away. And I think that that's the best thing the Bruins could have done. If you were going to give up that much, you bet your bottom dollar you were going to sign that player. Um, so I like that they, they did that. And it was also stated that they they were very interested in Sherratt and tried to do the same thing with Ben Sherratt, but were simply unwilling to pay the price that Florida did. Uh, that's a lie. Ben Sherrod did not want to sign in Boston. That's the reason. Um, so for the for 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 all those that that do actually want to know, uh, it wasn't Boston's lack of desire to pay that price. They paid more for Lindholm, uh, but they just Sherrod wanted no part of it. I mean, who can blame him? Played for the Montreal Canadiens and he grew up in Toronto. Boston is the enemy, so I I can understand it. So clear, I would go to Florida too. Like I, I'm I'm down to go to Florida. Like. And even then, he hasn't even gone to Florida. His first game with the Panthers is going to be here in Montreal. So here we are. Um, that being said, I think this is great for Boston. I mean, look, what do you want to do? I mean, yeah, exactly. This was the last 
piece that they were missing. Like, obviously, next year we're going to have to talk about it, but they needed two things. And they only had enough assets for one, and they knocked it out of the park. They needed a top-six center to replace David Krejci, which they hadn't done properly since he left. And they needed eight top-pair defensemen to play with McAvoy. They got one. And it was, in my opinion, probably the hardest one. Next summer, they can focus on trading, you know, a, a guy like uh, uh, DeBrusque, for example, for top-six center help if they need it. But when you look at getting a guy like Lindholm, a lot of teams would kill to get Lindholm on their team at $6.5 million for eight years. Let's take a look at some other trade action. Let's talk about the fire sale that happened at the Seattle Kraken's organization, which Giordano and Blackwell traded to the Leafs. Adam, what do people need to take away from this big move? Yeah, so the Leafs, uh, another type of dumpster fire of their own, uh, basically acquired... They didn't get any goaltending, but they got Mark Giordano to come help that the defensive side. Uh, yeah, just uh, he's gonna fit in right with the the Leafs style of play. I feel, I feel like. But then again, to to to, to add Giordano when you're trying to go deep in the playoffs, the guy has like seven points in in twenty something career playoff games. I don't think it was the move to make, but then again, great value, especially. I don't think we I don't think we have an update on Muzzin. I don't know if he's coming back this year, but this is a great ad for for Toronto's top four. Yeah, I think you know I think he did a good job, um, you know, in going to get Giordano, and I think that was a, a very low price to pay considering Giordano's reputation. But then you also have to factor in his cap, you know, uh, Giordano at three point seven million dollars, which is basically or three point. $35 million, which is basically 50% of his current cap hit, which was 6.7. Um, not many teams can take that in. So already that lowered the market. And then Giordano wanted to go back to home to Toronto to play with his former defensive partner, uh, TJ Brody. And that further complicated the market as well. So you throw that all into the mix and it creates a situation where Toronto was able to get a really good player at the end of the tail end of his career, um, you know, at a very decent price. And, a lot of people will pat Kyle Dubas on the back. Uh, I personally do not. I think that when a player tells his team that he wants to go somewhere, like Claude Giroux told the uh, the Philadelphia Flyers he wanted to go to the Panthers, uh, it makes it so that the acquiring team uh, can play a little rough shot in the negotiation. So two second-round picks uh, is nothing to sneeze at. That's a pretty good return nonetheless. And Seattle did nothing but acquire second-round picks uh, during this trade deadline. We can get into that when we look at the Kale Yonkroke deal or the Philip Lozon deal. Well, let's just go into those right away. Marco, you introduced them. Talk about them. Kelly Yonkroke traded to the Calgary Flames for a second-round pick, a third-round pick, and a seventh-round pick. Um, a similar player to Arturi Lekkonen, albeit not the five-on-five stud that, that Lekkonen is. Um, you know, gritty third third line forward uh you know good playoff experience uh you know 35 40 point player um but he was an unrestricted free agent so a pure rental for the flames and he really comes and rounds out uh their bottom six i think you know you, that helps them bump milan lucic down to the fourth line where he belongs and then you basically can run a third line of yarn um monahan and Toffoli, which is one heck of a loaded top, third line 
So let's talk about goaltenders. We already talked about Andrew Hammond heading over to a new team, but let's also talk about Marc-Andre Fleury heading to the Minnesota bench. Uh, Adam, what do we need to know about this goaltending situation? We're just showing up deaf for the most part. Yeah, so Minnesota traded away Kapokakin in moments after that trade, but basically they acquired Marc-Andre Fleury, who basically comes in as a 1A, 1B with with Cam Talbot for the playoffs. Uh, Look, we touched on it in past episodes. The Wild are just all in this year. It's basically their year to go for it, uh, considering the the buyback penalties they're going to have for the next three to four years. Uh, So, yeah, for for, for a second, conditional second uh, is basically such a low price to pay for, for basically Stanley Cup uh, winning goaltender, right? And it's it's a conditional second. Basically, if Minnesota um, reaches the Western Final and Flurry has at least four wins in the first two rounds, uh, the pick becomes a first. Uh, so yeah, I, I just feel like they're going all in this year. I mean, they're going as far all in as they as they can given the circumstances. I think that's the key here. Like they they haven't. They, they went and acquired goaltending, which is great. Not that I feel like goaltending is what's necessarily let them down this year. Um, they just simply didn't have the means to go and get more. I think their best, their funniest acquisition was definitely uh, Nick Delorier for a third-round pick, uh, scoring in his first game for the Minnesota Wild. That is an offensive acquisition right there, uh, an absolute uh, dynamo for them in the playoffs he's going to be. But definitely getting a goaltender of Martin uh, of Marc Andre Fleury's demeanor, that experience can't be bought. And I think that at a, at a certain point in time, you know, they didn't have to give up too much. They traded a conditional second round pick that could become a first round pick if it goes far. But they also acquired a second round pick by trading the rights to Jack McBain to the Arizona Coyotes. And ironically enough, the second round pick they got from the Arizona Coyotes belongs to the Vancouver Canucks, who might actually miss the playoffs uh, and is therefore higher than Minnesota's. So they basically swapped. They basically traded Jack McBain. In my honest opinion, they traded Jack McBain for the right to get Marc-Andre Fleury, um, which in my, for a prospect that was going to become an unrestricted free agent in five months from now anyway, I think that was excellent cap management, uh, excellent asset management, my apologies, by Bill Guerin. In this situation, because in most most GMs, most GMs wouldn't have gotten nothing, and I think he did a really good job in, in creating a market for that player and getting maximum value. Andrew Cop headed to the Rangers. What do we need to know about that as well? That was a late trade from the Rangers. Um, you know, basically missing out on all the premier, you know, middle six guys uh, and settling on Andrew Cop, who, granted, is not a scrub in and of his own right, but. When you look at what was available, you expected a little bit more activity from the Rangers. Uh, and they paid quite a price for Andrew Kopp. I mean, they gave up two conditional second-round picks and a fifth-round pick. And that and that second-round pick uh, can basically turn into a first-round pick uh, should the Rangers reach the conference final and Andrew Kopp partake in 50% of those games. The other condition on the second second-round pick yeah, that's right. Second, second round is that the Winnipeg Jets can choose which year they can receive that second round pick. 
be it either 2022 or 2023. So again, two seconds that could potentially become a, a first and a second for Andrew Cobb. That's one heck of a return for the Winnipeg Jets, especially for a guy that was basically a career bottom six player. And finally, let's look over at Max Domi heading to the Canes. Adam, what are finally, what do you want to leave with there? Yeah, the Canes adding a depth forward. Uh, Max Domi, who, I mean, was having a stellar season, 32 points in 50, 53 games, uh, basically surpassing his career total, uh, his, uh, his last year's total, sorry. Uh, just once again, another team in the East that, that just might come out of the East, right? It's just going to be such a fight uh, to come out of that East division. And I feel like all those teams, those contenders just got better on deadline. So it's going to be interesting to see wh who comes out. But uh, yeah, the Hurricanes uh, adding Max Domi, a ta talented player who with basically no risk for that trade. Yeah, I mean, Max Domi is a depth forward. Who would have thought this is the same player who put up 72 points for the Montreal Canadiens? How far the mighty have fallen. Well, the best thing I could hope is that he finds the joy of playing hockey again in Carolina, um, as some other players have. Um, and I hope he can enjoy it like some other players have playing eight minutes a game, because that's basically what Max Domi is going to look forward to, is 10 to 12 minutes on that third line, behind powerhouses uh, like Nietzsche's, Svechnikov, Aho, uh, Teravainen. No, no. Kakeniemi will probably be benched by game three. Let's finally take a look at all the games that we have ahead to look forward to, starting out Thursday night against the Florida Panthers, Saturday night versus the Toronto Maple Leafs, then away games on Sunday versus the New Jersey Devils, and again on Tuesday versus the Florida Panthers. Last thoughts before we tag out for the show. It's going to be fun to see the Panthers twice, but uh, yeah, good luck on those games. Everyone involved in the hockey world, thanks again for joining us here on the Hockey Flow. I'm pleased to share with Adam Boucher and Marco D'Amico, both of which you can find on Twitter. Adam, we found it really Adam B, and Marco, we found it MN D'Amico, that's M-N-D-A-M-I-C-O on Twitter, and of course, all of his work at Montreal Hockey Now. I'm Major Cordero. We'll catch you all next week. Cheers. Cheers.